Integrity is the capacity to hold up all the things you say you are. Welcome to the Shepherd Hearted Leader podcast. In today's episode, we talk about what it's like to be a shepherd hearted leader. When we have to lean into shepherding ourselves and our families, we get a little personal on some of the stories that we've encountered and things that we've had to overcome. So we wanna invite you to join the conversation and lean in as we discuss Shepherd Hearted Leader. We're in staff chapel and you're like, the older I get, the more I wanna like see other people succeed. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold up Grandpa Nate, because <laughs> you've been like this your whole life. Yeah. Like ever since I've known you, it's always been about other people. So then sometimes I go, hey, what about us? Like, <laughs> what about our future? I've even said that to you, I think, back there in our- have back a few decades ago, but now, you know, I, I get it. I'm, I always like to say I'm your greatest disciple, right? I hope, I hope I'm learning from you. <laughs> you can't lead your family, then who are you leading, right? Uh-huh. So thanks for making a difference in our lives. Um, I guess this episode, I just want to tie up the whole concept of shepherd-hearted leader. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there are things that we missed or things that you want to go further on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just kind of give a couple thoughts and then hear what you have to say. Sounds good to me. You're a great shepherd. So one of the things that shepherds do is they take care of the flock Mm -hmm. and they also deal with the wolves in that are trying to like carry off the sheep. In today's world, there's so many voices. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with the wolves? Mm. Well, there's a lot of ways to deal with wolves. Um, And maybe what are some of the wolves? That's a good question. Uh, I think that there are external wolves, voices outside of the church, and then there are internal wolves, people that are misusing or have false motives for what they're doing internally. So it's both you have to watch for. Um, on the external side of things, I believe in, I think it was Mark Denya said this, you want to feed the sheep and starve the wolves. So you don't spend a whole lot of time addressing the wolves, um, but you, you focus on feeding your sheep. And if you're feeding your sheep, they're underneath your protection. Mm. Um, if you're not feeding your sheep and you're spending your time pointing out all the wolves out there, then your sheep will wander away because they're not being fed. So I think, you know, as a shepherd, as a pastor shepherd, I need to focus on making sure that I'm hearing from God, I'm reading the word, and I'm preaching the word that equips our people. And if I do that, it will starve the wolves because the wolves won't like that. They won't have opportunity to make their way in. And I think the truth corrects error. So the more I teach the word, the more our people will recognize the counterfeits because it won't sound right. It doesn't match up with the rest of the Bible. Um, There's a lot of really great communicators, a lot of really great people out there that know how to sway people, many of them that aren't even saved. Mm. But they know how to sound religious. They know how to get you to give them your money, uh, that kind of thing. And so my goal would be to train our people in such a way that they're able, through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, to discern for themselves what the truth is. And if they, they understand what that is, then they're likely to reject the wolves, the contrary voices, the misleading voices that are out there. The other thing is there are times when a misleading voice is successful. Mm. When someone wanders away, 
um, a sheep leaves the flock or they begin to follow a different gospel, but I can still love those same sheep so that when they come back, they still have a place in our home, in our flock. And so um, it doesn't mean that I, I um, chastise our people or our sheep because the, the, a wolf is going after them and successfully pulling them away. I don't want to demonize my own people. Um, but what I do want to do is feed the people, love the people, and let them know that I'm here when they come back. Yeah. So um, that's a part. That's the external. The internal, I think we have a responsibility to, um, from a, a leadership perspective, we have to make sure that we test and approve those who are called spirit, spiritual leaders that we put in places of authority. Now that happens in the clergy world with uh, credentialing. So pastors have to go through a process where they're um, tested. And um, and you've gone through that process, yep. mm-hmm. and I've gone through that process. Yeah, well, some people order theirs on the internet. Yeah, and we're not talking about that. That's <laughs> not the Cracker Jack box. Talking about the, the real yeah, testing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where you have to stand before people and give an account to what you think and believe. You have to serve faithfully. And then there's different layers of endorsement. You wouldn't want to go to the doctor and have surgery, physical surgery, with somebody that just got their degree off the internet but never really was trained by professionals. Yeah, that's true. You want somebody that's gone through clinical hours, been trained and um, proven, been endorsed by, and got their their endorsed doctorate. So I think that we need to think that way even with volunteers. The larger a church gets, the more people are required to be in spiritual leadership. It can't all be on the pastor. So what process do you have in order to vet and train leaders to be shepherds, leaders, whether it's a a leader in Team Emmanuel for us, that's our volunteer teams. We have coaches at different parts of our ministry, but all of them should prove themselves and uh, have minimum basic expectations for that. And then while they're serving, you don't want to give them a high-profile role too quickly. That's what the Scripture says, because they need time to grow into it. And there are times that people have other ideas. They want to form their own ministry. They want their pulpit to be the connect group or something like that. And uh, we have to gently redirect those people because it's not about their ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had some prayer team members, for example, that um, they want to do it their way. And uh, they have their own prophetic way of doing things that isn't the Emmanuel way. And they come in and, um, and they're praying for people at the altars. And we've had to give godly discipline because they're, they're unknowingly wolves. Their gift hurts the sheep. And so we have to, to really keep in line and keep in tune with where our under shepherds are our volunteers that are also called to do ministry and make sure that it's actually caring for the sheep and taking care of them. Yeah, that's what you talk about, like being under authority, mm-hmm. shepherds and under shepherds. It's so important. Um, you know, you talked about bringing in correction. A shepherd has a shepherd crook, at least in yeah. the Bible. And yeah. the staff, the staff, the rod, whatever mm-hmm. you call it is used for guiding and correcting and mm-hmm. leading and mm-hmm. sometimes beating yeah. wolves off. or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, the I I would use that as like the the responsibility of leadership of a shepherd based on the role that you're in means that you got to use the tools that you have. So um, there are times when the rod comforts and there are times that the rod doesn't. Um, Hopefully the presence of the capacity of a leader to utilize the rod comforts the sheep because they know if the wolves are coming, I, I've got a shepherd that's going to defend me. Yep, that's good. If they fear the shepherd because that shepherd uses it on the sheep, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I walk up to somebody and I get, go to give them a high five and I raise my hand and I see that other person duck, it says to me that they've probably been through some form of abuse in their history where somebody raised their hand hit them. And I think uh, a good shepherd knows when and how to utilize the tools that they have. Um, You want to beat the wolves off, and you want to provide safety for the sheep. Now, discipline is still a part of leading Which that's probably not the most fun part of it. Yeah, it's not. But... um, You're not going to get affirmation necessarily. No. And people don't like to be told they're doing something wrong or be redirected. But we have a, you know, a way of doing that where love does confront. Love doesn't ignore. Love is not passive aggressive. Um, we do need to step in and communicate to people when we see things. If it's out of line biblically or relationally something's going on, then we have to step in. And it is our responsibility. And I think Jesus expects us to do that. But there's also a goal in mind. So I use a phrase called redemptive discipline. So we never want to punish people. We want to redirect them so that there's redemption on the other side of it, um, that they can re-earn their qualifications for doing ministry, or they could step back into some form of of care that they're not sidelined forever. And if a person responds with great um, humility and they accept the, the discipline, then they've learned and they've grown. And they're actually, uh, many of them are better leaders down the road because they did that. They're, they're, uh, the discipline actually helped them grow. Um, and it doesn't feel great, as Hebrews says, but it doesn't feel great in the moment, but it's good for a lifetime. And the Father disciplines those who he loves. Yeah, so if a shepherd loves upbringing discipline, yeah. that's so good. Now you talked about you having shepherds. Mm-hmm. in your life and still submitting yourself to other shepherds. And there are probably people who are listening, whether they're in our church or outside their, our church, and they're, mm-hmm. maybe they don't have a shepherd yet. How mm-hmm. can someone go about finding a good shepherd yeah. um, that actually is doing that, a shepherd-hearted leader? Yeah. Well, um, you know, Jesus, Jesus showed us some different models um, one model is he went and chose his disciples, right? So um, one route could be that someone would come along and choose you. That doesn't mean it's Jesus every time, so you have to know um, and test it and that kind of thing. So if somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said, I, w- I want to disciple you, doesn't mean that you get an instant yes. Uh, you need to pause and think about it. Um, it's not everyone that says that to any individual. So if it happens, you need to pray about it, think about it. 
And if you're vetting a person, a leader, um, it's better to do it over a length of time um, to serve under a, a leader and to watch and see how they handle themselves in public and how they handle themselves in private. Um, that's one way. Um, I've had a lot of people over time that wanted me to disciple them, but I have bandwidth limitations. So I don't have, you know, um, do, do I have dinner with my family or do I, because somebody asked me to disciple them or do I spend some time with somebody who wants me to disciple them? Well, I can do both, but I can't do both at the same time. So I have to figure out my bandwidth limitations and um, create boundaries. So boundaries are a part of good shepherding. They're good shepherding for what you do with your own life and how you receive it, but it's also good to practice boundaries with the, those that you're overseeing or that you're shepherding. So boundaries become a part of that, and there's a whole world of questions related to boundaries. Um, and I think you just got to know your own boundaries and you need to respect others boundaries on that time when what what's acceptable amount of time um what are you really looking for the what do you want to learn what do you want to grow in um in the world of mentoring um you know there's different ways to learn from people so you can learn from a distance you can learn from reading someone's books you can learn from listening to their messages and then there's a more close-up view you can learn from relationships. So dependent on the, the proximity that you are to the individual and the capability of learning from them will determine a lot. Um, when it comes to church, um, there's a lot of preachers now. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's important to know what the accountabilities of that preacher are and the church. Um, you can't really know everything you can pick up on and sense how they handle authority. Is it a, is it a celebrity culture? Um, how does that person handle themselves? Don't judge a book by its cover, though. I mean, you have no idea what a person's backstory is or what they're going through. You can um, filter out over time what the trajectory of a message is. Does this make? Does this person's teaching make me want, want to serve Jesus more? Or is this person's teaching producing something else in me? Am I becoming more angry? Am I becoming more judgmental? Mm-hmm. Am I becoming more like Jesus? I think you can ask a lot of those questions. What is it producing in me? And, um, and then to w- what extent is it just a teaching and what extent am I coming underneath that teaching? Am I letting it be my shepherd? There's lots of listening, but that doesn't mean they're watching over you and caring for you. Um, In the pastoral sense, um, I think one thing that's missing in the modern uh, on-demand messages culture where you can just listen to a message anytime you want, whether it's a podcast like this or it's um, watching somebody's message from last week, um, the danger in that is it replaces really relationship and coming in contact with the body of Christ and being underneath somebody else. So I think it's really important for um, for b- believers, no, no matter who you are, to have actual relationship to the people that you're underneath. Um, and like at Emmanuel, I'm not going to know every person at every one of our locations, but we have obvious people th- that are entrusted by me to shepherd different places of our church. So 
for example, we have our location pastor. Some churches call it a campus pastor. They're responsible for their location. I'm preaching, um, but they are an under-shepherd for, under my, my guidance, my approval, to shepherd that location. I would expect that they know the people in their location. And then as those locations grow, they're going to have to have staff underneath them so that um, it's not one person knowing 500 people, but that we're raising others up that are also shepherds. So there's shepherd net coverage, if you will, that we also need to keep in mind. Oh, that's so good. Um, one of the things that we talked about before is just about, you know, leading. Well, maybe we didn't cover this, so I'm going to cover yeah. it now, I guess. Is how do we lead ourselves as shepherds? Like, what mm-hmm. are some of the things that you do to make sure that you aren't filled with ego and um, that you're mm-hmm. being a true shepherd-hearted leader? So how does a shepherd hearted person how do we lead ourselves well the best example of that is still jesus so you know that should be all of our starting points um read the gospels and you watch and see how he handled himself he was both with a group of people so he wasn't isolated and he pulled himself away from people to be with his father he slept he took naps so he took care of his body um And I think that if I'm going to be a shepherd or you're going to be a shepherd, that you got to do the same things that Jesus did. And, um, you know, I I would look at your physical capacity. I would look at your accountability to authority and to peers. And then I look at healthy life um, that's not all work, too. So, um, and if we are not careful... We become our own strength, and when we do that, we're not good shepherds because we're not modeling something good, and we're probably not picking up on or not sensitive to the needs of our sheep when we're going too fast. So, for example, when I my first year at North Central, when I was a teacher, I had transitioned out of Emmanuel into teaching. I was coaching our kids. Remember, I did football oh, I and basketball coaching them. I was a master's, I was a student in a master's degree program. Yep. So I was doing papers and reading. And, um, traveling and speaking. I was traveling and speaking. I taught three classes at North Central. Which is like traveling and speaking. I had 110 vi- advisees that all wanted my time at the school. And, uh, and I was sleeping for about three, four hours a night. And so I thought I could do all of that. Um, but I was ignoring the signals and so I was ignoring the signals that my body was trying to tell me that I couldn't do that, nor did I think God want me to do that. And so I had a grand mal seizure. And when I had the grand mal seizure, um, I was on a ministry trip about to preach to a camp out in Michigan and uh, ended up in the hospital, full-blown seizure, about bit through my tongue, vomit everywhere. And I started coming to a little bit. They told me what had happened. And my first thought was, my job is killing me. (laughs) Like it was too much, too busy, and it was the job. And really that's laziness on my part. And God spoke to me at that moment as if he had arrested me. And he just said, no one else is responsible for your schedule but you. You're going to stand alone before me someday. And it was like, boom. Because we tend to blame external factors for what's going on inside our hearts. But God holds us responsible. So if I'm going to be a good shepherd, 
I need to pay attention to what's going on in the garden of my own heart and not let the weeds grow up. I need to pull some weeds. I need to take care of my heart, my life, my inner world. And I need to have real, realistic boundaries set up for my time so that I get enough sleep. Two weeks after that seizure, we sat down, you and I did, mm-hmm. across from the neurologist, who said the cause of my seizure was a combined, a combination of a lack of sleep and stress over a long period of time. And it was like the banks of the river that lowered and then the river spilled over. And she said, your lack of sleep and stress lowered those banks. you got to build your banks back up and you need to have at least seven hours sleep every night for the rest of your life. And you remember how sick I was at that moment? I just said, that much? I probably wouldn't have classified you as sick as much as just driven. Yeah, I was pretty driven. Yeah, driven. You know, God uses things. I feel like ever since then, you do let me weigh in a little bit more on your schedule. So that's that's been the... Yeah, I've had to learn to listen to you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. God will do whatever it takes, right? If I'm going to be a good shepherd, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's, I mean, that listening to the people around you, listen to the people closest in your life. Yeah. I know there's a lot of pastors, ministry, I'll go assuming mostly men, uh-huh. but, you know, railroading the family and not yeah. taking into account their family. Yeah. And, you know, when we take time to stop and listen to our spouse and our yeah. kids, not that they're the ones who are guiding and, you right. know, whatever, but speaking into it as a family, that really helps. Yeah. Save well, that's another well. great example, too, of when I went for my dissertation, which required a ton of extra time and while we were going through a building project at the church and we're just doing a lot of things and I would come home and I had my laptop out and I would be reading or writing, which was a signal to the rest of the family that I didn't know about, that dad is not available, Nate's not available. And there were consequences to that. You know, you're the first people you shepherd are the people in your own home and I w- wasn't sensitive to the needs of the people in my own home because I was occupied. And so even in the bo- in the spaces like at home, making sure that you really do disconnect from work or disconnect from other things, perhaps I shouldn't have finished my dissertation that way. Maybe I should have done it a different way. Um, but I think that that's a big part of retaining a capacity to be a, a good shepherd-hearted leader. I would say the other thing I appreciate about you is you're teachable. And so you learn from mistakes instead of just, you know, kind of denying that it ever happened. You go, hey, that was kind of a dumb thing to do, and I probably shouldn't do it in the future. Mm. And you really do change. And Mm. so, like, as, you know, your long-term partner by your Mm. side, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You don't just say you're sorry. You actually make adjustments and inspires me to be better. Um, One of the things that uh, I think about is just congregants. Like when when we were back back in the day of youth pastoring, we didn't have social media and all that. And then coming back to pastoring at Emmanuel 10 years ago, it was a really different atmosphere. Like I kind of liked the pre-social media era because – you just there was no comparison. You didn't know what other people were doing, and when mm-hmm. people were with you, they were with you. And when they're gone, they were gone. Kind mm-hmm. of a thing. You didn't see all the things that they were doing. One of the things that I really thought of, you talked about that period of time where I was teachable, and I've been teachable at different parts of our journey. That has come through conflict. Like some of the change meant 
you had to speak into my life in a blunt way that really hurt. I didn't want to hear what you were saying. And um, I'm just curious as, as my wife, but as one representing somebody on the other side of what we're talking about too, um, what did it take for you to speak that into me? Because you had things in your head for a long time, uh, perhaps resentment or hurt or whatever, but it took a process to get you to that space where you would say the thing that actually helped me change. So for me, just evaluating myself and going, dealing with my own issues and my own insecurities and things uh, of origin, like growing up the way I grew up and dealing with myself and then realizing as I grew, I could only do so much of the changing of the fixing of the growing and just being able to care and love you enough to say, hey, I've done my part now. It's time for you to look mm-hmm. at yourself too in this situation. And I don't know if you're referring to the time I wrote you a letter, yeah. but I did write you a letter and that slowed me down enough to really put into thought what I wanted to say instead of just saying it. And then mm-hmm. I can't take back those words, but um, to write it out made it made me have to stop and think about intentionality of every word that I was picking. Mm-hmm. And then you would have time to really think about it and read it and reflect on it and respond to it. Yeah, and that was um, really hard to read. I mean, it was because you said how you felt. This is when you did this, this is how I felt. And when I heard those words through reading it, and those were things I did never w- w- wanted to happen to you. I didn't want you to feel wounded. I didn't want you to feel overlooked. I didn't want you to feel those things, but they were very real. And I couldn't defend myself because I was reading it by myself. So I couldn't just say, yeah, you're wrong. But it forced me, it was like a mirror. It forced me to look inwardly. And I think to be a good shepherd requires people like that to speak it back to you in your life. You know, the majority of people in my story right now call me boss (laughs) you know like the people on staff or people that look up and they might be less likely to say to me what they really think and so I have to find ways to open those doors to hear it and sometimes I have to hear what's not being said sometimes I have to hear why are they quiet why didn't they show up Um, Why didn't they write a thank you note or why didn't, you know, those kind of things are kind of revealing to me um, that maybe I need to change. Yeah, that's awesome that you look at. I I do remember what I was thinking about before in the social media era. You didn't have people comparing as much. And I was thinking about congregation now that the congregation, the, you know, people that are being shepherded have access to so much information. There was a time like that when we first came back, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, to be celebrity, like mm-hmm. the celebrity pastor, like you should have, you know, a public domain or whatever, and mm-hmm. a public figure. And you're kind of like almost to a fault sometimes resistant of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but yet it's also healthy. And then you fast forward and go through COVID in just the tough era. Now it's almost like they don't want you to be a celebrity pastor. Mm-hmm. And I think about the people in the congregation, how 
that affects the shepherd? Mm -hmm. And how have you navigated just the Mm -hmm. disparity of what people Mm -hmm. think that they need in a shepherd versus maybe what a shepherd should be? That's a really good... Well, and on top of that, you got people that come from other churches and they want you to be their old pastor or they want their church to be... They want our church to be like their old church. I just got to know who I am and who I'm not. You know, John the Baptist had to know who he was not. You know, he had the crowds following him, and and then uh, they started leaving him to go follow Jesus. And um, his disciples, John's disciples, said, should we go get him back? Because we're not trending anymore. We need to trend again. And uh, he said, no, I've got to decrease in order for him to increase so john knew who he was and who he wasn't he knew he wasn't the messiah and he knew that he was not meant to do what jesus was doing but he did know who he was he was the one that was like elijah kind of preparing the way of the lord and then finally when john the baptist was in in prison and he was about to get his head chopped off he started questioning it again. So I think we, we still wonder later on whether or not it was worth it. And he sends word to Jesus, you know, are you the Messiah? And, of course, he already knew the answer to that question. But Jesus' word back to him was, tell him that the blind see, that the lame walk, and blessed is the one who does not fall away on my account. In other words, it's not about the title or the prestige or the platform that you get. It's about the kingdom. And you need to let it be for the glory of God. And I think for me, I've stayed in that zone throughout. So I don't get too high when people are patting me on the back. And I don't get too low when people are talking behind my back. And so I have to learn to just go, I just need to do what the Lord is calling me to do. Love people, be obedient, stay in my lane. And people come and people go. And trends come and trends go. But the faithfulness aspect is the most important. And I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's so good. Probably the last thing I want to touch on today is uh, your integrity. And I really appreciate about appreciate that about you is how you're a person of integrity. And talk about how integrity really plays into being a shepherd-hearted leader. Yeah, that's good. So integrity is the capacity to hold up all the things you say you are. <laughs> so um, I love I love the metaphor of a suspension bridge. Um, I grew up in lower Michigan. Um, there's a bridge called the Mackinac Bridge between lower Michigan and upper Michigan. It's this long, five-mile-long suspension bridge. Well, if you look at any of those great bridges in the world, Um, The engineering that goes into holding that together is incredible. I mean, even like the Golden Gate Bridge in an earthquake-prone area of the world, they've got to think ahead how how to hold it together in the middle of the most adverse circumstances, the traffic that goes on it, the weight that's on it. And you've experienced living in Minneapolis when the bridge collapsed. So we know how important having a good bridge is that... Yeah. The 35W bridge collapsed. You drove on it three times. So that's a great example of the integrity of the bridge isn't the beauty of the bridge or how it looks. It's a a capacity to stay together and hold the weight 
on the top of the bridge. Yeah. So for us as individuals, our integrity is seen in our faithfulness and our long-term viability. It's in the hidden things. I think there was a study done on that Minneapolis bridge that collapsed that there was, it was eroding over a long period of time and they didn't notice it. So there can be long-term things going on that are eroding your integrity, but the traffic can still go on top until it can't, Mm -hmm. until there's a breaking moment. So when we're talking about reaching into the future and trying to help the next generation, um, being shepherd-hearted leaders that care about the people under our care, we want to build the type of bridge, type of church, type of organization, and even the type of relationship between us and them that can handle the traffic of their dreams. And, uh, and that means, you know, we've got a lot of dreamers. You know, Joel said, and, and, and Peter gets up in the book of Acts, and he quotes from Joel that in the last days that there's going to be young and old dreaming and seeing visions. And so there's more visions to come, and there's more dreams to come, individuals in their role, um, maybe a youth pastor, maybe a, a worship leader, maybe a volunteer. They got big dreams. They might see themselves on the platform in front of thousands of people, but integrity is the capacity of their life to handle the traffic and the weight of that moment. And uh, the pressure gets greater. The bigger the platform, the more pitfalls there are. And so um, ultimately, we want to have the kind of integrity that can handle the traffic of our dreams. Yeah, think about all the things that led you up and prepared you were the hard things. Yeah. Think about like Joseph, how he had a dream. That's good. To be, you know, that his family would be bowing down to him. (laughs) And he went through prison and accusations and for being forgotten. And then he was ready to handle, he had the integrity to handle the weight of his dreams. That's really good. So so important yeah thank you again so much for sharing and look forward to hearing more from you thank you so much for being a part of the conversation and letting us share some of our more not so great moments we hope that you can take away some things for this that will help you as you lead yourself and others and again we always want to hear from you so leave a comment and make sure if you enjoyed this episode share it with some friends until next time keep leading well